Confidently She. A podcast bringing a fresh, encouraging perspective on what it means to be a woman. And while it's okay to not be okay, I believe there's a way to walk through any stage of life with a confident perspective. Hey, welcome to another episode of Confidently She. I am your host, Rebecca Biggie, and I am honored that you are taking the time to listen to this episode today because we have a really special guest on the show. Her name is Felicia Masonheimer, and I have been following her on Instagram for a number of months, and every time I see her posts, I'm excited but also challenged in some ways of how I think about things, and I think those are the best people to be following because you always learn something and and you get encouragement along the way. So I want to introduce Felicia to the show. She is on a mission to teach Christians how to know what they believe and live it boldly, which is something I think everyone would like to see more of from Christians. So Felicia, thanks for taking the time. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for having me on, Rebecca. Yeah, this is going to be great. So we were chatting a little bit before we got started and we really wanted to give like the listeners just a teeny bit of background on how you got started and then we can dive into kind of the meat of everything. Sure. So I am what is called a public theologian. I'm not a pastor. I'm not ordained. And so public theologian best fits what I do because I teach theological concepts. I break the Bible down and help people understand how it affects their daily lives. So how it relates to culture. And I'm engaging with that on a public platform as opposed in the to the world of academia. So that's why I call it a public theologian. So in my work, a lot of what we do is talk about the difficult parts of the Bible and how understanding historical context, understanding where those principles come from helps us live that out in our daily lives. Yes. Which is so, so, I'm thankful for what you do because so often I feel like if we're hearing about the Bible, it's from like old people who have like been doing <laughs> this for a while. And like, no offense to old people, but it's just like, it's refreshing to be like, oh, okay. There's someone who like looks like me, talks like me, uses technology like me, and is also uh, educated and can speak about um, biblical concepts in a way that is, is relatable. So when it comes to tough biblical principles, I think the relationship um, between men and women is one of the top five, probably, I would say. What would yes. you say? This is like your oh, world that sure. you live in. It's constantly, you know, under fire, in question, with multiple viewpoints on it, and many different theological terms for those viewpoints that we can't get into here. Mm-hmm. But it is definitely a an issue that's in debate and has been for many years. What should the relationship between men and women look like according to the guidelines of the Bible? Right. And I think that we're at a really interesting time just culturally where I I call this like, so I want to end the era of angry feminism Um, I think that it's really natural to have an angry response when you realize how poorly you've been treated and your gender has been treated over decades and centuries. But if you go through like the 12 steps of healing or recovery or whatever, like anger is not the last step. 
Like you don't end with anger and just camp out in your angry tent. And I think that that's where women have been for a while and like just rejecting everything that is masculine or trying to become masculine themselves. And it's just caused a lot of frustration, especially in dating, uh, but, but in just relationships in general of confusion, frustration. And so I want to give one option as an explanation as to why we're feeling this way, why we're feeling confused, and how to move past that portion of the healing process of anger into, okay, how do I get to acceptance? How do I get to confidence? How do I get to just joyful living my life? Um, It's kind of like someone who's been through a really bad breakup and they only ever talk about how mistreated they were. It's like, okay, this was five years ago. Get over it. Like, I, I understand that right. it's bad. Right. We need to move on. So what, what does the Bible offer? What does, what's a biblical principle that explains the relationship between men and women as far as leadership? So when we bring up the word leadership, like there's so much behind that word. And I think to understand what the Bible says, we have to first remember, so the Bible was written over a span of many, many years, thousands of years, if you count the Old Testament. And it's an ancient text translated from Hebrew and Greek. So when we bring our English Western presuppositions about a word like leadership to that text, we can't help but read into it those biases. And so we have to know that about ourselves first when we're thinking about leadership and when we're looking at what the Bible says about men and women, that these weren't Western-minded people. These weren't people who were living in a post-feminist society. You know, they they were living in an ancient culture where women were actually very oppressed. And once you understand that, you can actually see these hints and these beautiful statements that show us how the forefathers of the faith were elevating women above their cultural station and honoring them and bringing them alongside. And so there are two main theological camps. I'm just going to give this information because I think it might be helpful for some further study. There are two main theological camps on gender roles. Complementarianism, which says that men and women are equal in value and different in role. So they, they serve in different roles. They have different general giftings. They have different, um, obviously biology, but then that plays out in the roles that they usually take. And then you have egalitarianism, which believes that men and women are equal in value and completely equal in role. So they can hold all the same positions in family and church and of course, government and jobs and stuff like that. Um, But the Bible is not concerned with what's happening in the secular world so much. When it's talking about leadership, it's talking about in the context of the church and of the Christian family. So Christian relationships, Christian church. So they weren't regulating what's going on in corporate America. Just want to make right. that clear. <laughs> so, <laughs> so with this knowledge and knowing like, okay, there's these two different camps, you're going to have different views on leadership. And I wanted to lay this foundation before I talked about it because I've been married for six years. Um, Before that, I worked in a corporate type of environment um, 
and worked my way up, loved my career. I worked in higher education. And now I work for myself owning my own business. I'm a very strong personality with a very gentle, kind husband. And so with all that context, I think it may help people understand that when I look at these passages about leadership and about what God says about um, men leading or um, what woman's place might be in this whole conversation, I'm not threatened by what the Bible says as a strong woman. I love that. Because I know that God makes women who are just as strong as men. He always has. And so there has to be this underlying reason that God would give us some guidelines for the male and female relationship while still honoring this mm. individual strength in men and women, if that makes sense. Yes. I love what you said about as a confident, strong woman, I'm not threatened by what the Bible says, because I think, because I felt that I, I was like, um, that was one of the things that made me very hesitant to really go all in with my faith is because I felt a little rejected or, uh, I don't know, just like didn't fit. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm never going to be the like long jean skirt wearing church woman. <laughs> I'm like, I'm never going to be that. And uh, so I guess I can't go, you know, like, I guess I'm not invited if I'm not going to be this like very strict definition of what a woman in the church or, or what a woman in general, like is supposed to be. I'm like, I'm not going to be that quiet, like mousy woman. So I guess, I don't know, I should just like go all the way the other way or something like that. But it's interesting that you, um, find you're not threatened by that. Why? What does it say about confident? women? Well, one of the passages I think bothers a lot of women is the passage that says that a woman is honored by God for her gentle and quiet spirit. It's one of Peter's epistles. Mm. And when you are a stronger personality, um, you can tend to read that passage and think, well, yeah, that disqualifies me. Like what, where's my place in the world? But what those words mean, what gentle and quiet mean, Greek words that he used mean restful, Mm -hmm. at rest, not striving, not competing, not grasping. And a truly confident woman is all of those things. She can be outgoing. She can be outspoken. She can be all of that and also be gentle. So she knows when to speak and when to be silent and quiet. She's at rest. Mm. So it's not that she's silent. It's not that he was silencing women. That's another passage in scripture. People get misconstrued where Paul says the women should be silent in the churches. Well, he was speaking to a very rowdy group of Corinthian Greeks and Jews who were extremely out of order with a lot of confusion about what coming to the Christian faith looked like. And so when he said the women should be silent, the women weren't theologically educated. They didn't know what to even say in the body together. So it would have been the same as saying, don't let uneducated people speak up in the church. And then he follows it by saying, go home and be taught by your husbands, which of course people take a lot of offense at. Well, the people who were theologically educated in that day were the husbands. So really what Paul was saying, yeah, the men, um, what Paul was saying was educate your women, theologically Mm. educate your women. That's a lot more powerful and pretty impressive for the early Christian church to be having that call. And so when I see these passages, I think, 
of course, this is, this is an empowering and woman honoring God that I serve. He made women, he created them. He said, man's not good without her. Mm -hmm. So why would he contradict that later in the narrative? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. So why, why do you think that man isn't good without women? Let's talk about that. I think the further a man departs from God's call in his life. So God's initial call to man was be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And that wasn't just about having babies. It was about be fruitful, grow things, work the ground, be productive, take care of the earth, conserve it, bring beautiful things out of it. And yes, create a family and disciple that family. But when a man isn't walking with God, he's not going to grasp God's vision and he's not going to see his need for a woman's help in that vision. So woman was created her, the name for helper literally means military aid. And it's the use, that word is used for woman, but then every other instance, it's used for God himself as mm. a military aid coming to help Israel. And so that's an honor to us as women, but it also shows us like a lot of guys today, man, they don't, they don't even grasp that there's an eternal purpose going on here or that they have a higher call or that they have something to do for the Lord, like in their, in their job, in their school, whatever. They're just going through their days, apathetic, whatever, because that's the culture that I think has been spoken over them. It's the family that raised them. I do have a lot of compassion on today's Mm -hmm. men because even when I was dating, which would be, I guess now 10 years ago, um, 10 and eight years ago, I encountered that same thing. And a lot of times it was families that were raising guys with no real purpose or showing them like, look, there is a a call on your life to follow God and let him direct you. And then someday you're going to meet a woman and she is going to partner with you and you're going to be teammates and it's going to be awesome. But if a guy doesn't grasp that, I don't think he's going to value women as much. And I don't Mm. think he's going to see their capability as much. Mm. So talk more about the military aid and how the word is used with um, for God himself. Yeah. So the word is easier Mm -hmm. and a really good read on this is the book half the church by Carolyn Custis James. She really dives into Mm. the details of it, but an easier means military help, which when you look at what Adam was, was being he's created and God said, it is not good for man to be alone and creates woman. I will create a helper. I will create a military aid for him. And he brings her to him. Um, in that action, he basically spoke something over Adam. Like you, you can't do this without woman. You can't fulfill my purpose in this world without woman. And so when we see some of this, I think anger, like you said, especially mm-hmm. towards the church about abuses of um, the biblical womanhood, biblical masculinity, which I absolutely agree there are abuses of these concepts. Those abuses don't reflect the actual heart because God right. never wanted women excluded. Mm-hmm. But when we really understand that God made us to help fulfill his purpose in the world, And that we can do that before meeting a guy, 
mm-hmm. before being in a relationship, before being married, but we are coming alongside every godly man in the world and every other godly mm. woman in the world who is doing this work. We are, in a way, the army of God. Mm-hmm. Women are, are a form of an army of God. They're military help to change the world according to God's directive. Yeah. So what what do you see a woman fully confident, like living in the image of God? Because I think that's another thing we miss because God is always referred to as he, mm-hmm. that we forget that he made male and female in his image. Mm-hmm. So like, what do you see then a woman fully le- leaning into her feminine energy, her feminine qualities that she gets from God? I think that this looks different based on each woman. And that's what's so beautiful because mm-hmm. I do think that there are some things that generally are characteristic of women, but it's it's so hard to paint with such a broad brush. And the more I get to know women who are walking closely with God, the more I see how he he sanctifies them in individual ways. He, mm. he, he pulls out the things in them that were ugly and he shows them how to rise up and be stronger in those areas. But one thing that I always see is women of God grow more gracious, mm. more kind, more wise with time. And it's so beautiful. And I could say the same thing about men, but it yeah. looks different on men. You know, um, it's confidence. It's the same confidence. It's the same grace. It's the same love and kindness. But it just there's something about being a woman that almost clothes it in a different form. And I think that that's why it's so cool that God made men and women because they're growing in these same virtues. They both should be growing in the exact same virtues, but their specific gender close those virtues differently. Mm-hmm. And so they meet very specific needs in the world that the other one can't Okay, with that grace, with that wisdom, with that kindness. So they're both leading. They're both confident in themselves and they're both meeting needs that the other one couldn't do on their own. Because I think if woman had been made first, God would have said the same thing. It's not good for woman yeah. to be alone. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a really big analogy person. So the way I came to terms with it or the way that God showed me how to come to terms with that idea was the analogy of dancing. So I go salsa dancing, I go swing dancing sometimes. And when you are swing dancing, someone has to lead yeah, and someone has to follow. Like, like if you're both trying to lead, it is going to be a nightmare. You are going to hurt yourself and others, and it, it's not going to work. It's not going to flow. If you're both trying to follow, you're never going to go anywhere. You're just going to stand there and look mm-hmm. at each other. And it doesn't mean that one dancer is better or worse than the other. They're just playing their part. Right. And so expand on that a little, like what parts you see women playing because it's a different source of energy. It's not so controlling, it seems. So the dancing analogy is, it's a good analogy. And there's a couple reasons I'll get to in a second. But I think sometimes when we look at the complementarian view in scripture, Mm -hmm. 
we can tend to get a little too black and white about what men can do and what women can do. There is a term called headship that the husband is the head of a wife. So this only applies to marriage relationships. It's not applying to dating relationships. It's not that all men are head of all women. Hmm. It's husband and wife, exclusive to the marriage relationship. And in that relationship that he is the head of her, this is from, I believe, Ephesians, where it talks about this. He is the head of her as Christ is the head of the church. They're still equal in value, but it indicates some kind of relationship between the man and God where he is accountable for his family. Now, there are a lot of people who disagree with that and use other scriptures to disagree with it, um, especially our egalitarian friends. But in my own marriage, what this has looked like as a very strong, confident woman married to a very kind man who is not domineering and who is not pushy, um, I do consider him my head. And what that means is I'm not making decisions without him. I'm not leaving him out of our family directives and what we what directions I think we should go. I involve him in my business. And to many people that might sound like, okay, that's just basic communication. And I think that's what God was saying. Yes, it's basic communication. It's basic cooperation with each other, respect and love and defer to each other. And when you're truly partnered, this isn't going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, I really think it's a lot. It's truly that simple. That's what I think it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and that we've made it more complicated. We've made it um, even abusive in some contexts when in fact it really was as simple as, as deferring. Because then the husband's commanded to love the wife as Christ loved the church and laid himself down for her, which means he's also um, respecting her and right. loving her and sacrificing himself. So when those two are working in tandem, um, you do have different roles in a sense but it's also a perfect partnership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that is where what I talked about earlier, like the jealousy or the anger, like when you are submitting to or being led by someone who isn't loving you in that way, that it's like, that's when it can get like, what do I do? You know, like this, this isn't, this doesn't feel like it's being reciprocated in the way that it was intended to. Yeah. And this is where, and that's actually one of the biggest objections to the complementarian argument is that it falls apart if one person isn't doing what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. But when you go back to the dancing analogy, I think of this often, you have, you have two partners who are equal. They both have skill. If one starts to stumble, if one doesn't know the dance, yeah, the husband, let's say, doesn't know the dance, the wife, the female partner, if she does, she can back lead. It can mm-hmm. be done. Mm-hmm. And she can back lead until he gets his footing and then they can mm. go back to that dance again. And for a lot of my own marriage, my husband was a new believer when when we got married. I was a religion major who was raised in a strong Christian home. We were equally yoked in our love for the Lord, our desire for the Lord, but his knowledge was yeah. a lot below mine. And so for a long time there, was I back leading? Yes. I was back leading my husband into more spiritual maturity, but we were equal partners. And I was still learning how to defer to him and respect him in that process. And I think where we go wrong is we think I'm a woman, I have value, and therefore I need to make sure every guy knows how much value I have Hmm. to the point that it becomes very bossy when 
you know, a guy who doesn't value you isn't going to value you. And it yep. doesn't matter what you do or how confident and awesome you are. It's his own mentality and his own heart that's the issue. But a guy who truly honors women responds to that kind of dance of leaving a little void. Leaving a bit of a void. I think that that is interesting when it comes to kind of like the pursuing phase of relationships. Anytime there's a void, it's really easy to just step in and do it. Yeah. But this principle applies to everything. It's not just marriage and dating. It applies Mm. to parenting. If you always step in as a parent, your kid will not learn to rise to the occasion and be responsible. Mm. If you constantly step in with unhealthy friends and you fix their situations, they're going to depend on you and they're not going to rise up. It's the same thing in dating or in marriage. You want your husband to take more initiative. You want a guy to take more initiative, really giving them a sign, you know, affirming when they do something that you appreciate. But then when there is a need or there is a moment for them to rise up, really kind of going, I almost want to say like the 80% and then Mm. leaving that like 20% and letting them fill that. How that looks varies for every couple. It varies situation to situation. So if someone's listening and they're like, okay, like I want to expand my femininity. I want to grow in my confidence without becoming masculine because I think that that is the answer that the culture gives to women when they feel like, oppressed for being a woman, they're just like, okay, well, I'm just going to be a man. I'm just going to like, I'm going to do everything that a man does. I love that you bring this up because it's actually one of the greatest ironies of the feminist movement, which at the beginning accomplished a lot of good. But in the end, like if you truly are trying to smash the patriarchy, don't become like them. Yeah. It doesn't Mm -hmm. make any sense. You don't become what you're trying to defeat. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I don't agree with their definition of certain definitions for the patriarchy, but if you're wanting to truly subvert unhealthy, toxic masculinity, Mm -hmm. which God is against, Mm -hmm. the best way to do that is to walk into confident femininity, not to mimic unhealthy masculinity by becoming angry and domineering and controlling Mm -hmm. and grabbing the place that you want. Mm -hmm. It's to become so capable that you naturally rise to the occasion. Regardless of whether someone's a Christian or not, I think Understanding that womanhood is not a curse. It's not yeah. a it's not a lesser status. It's not unessential. Um, mm-hmm. But that it's something that God created intentionally. Intentionally. He made sure that woman was made. She was needed for creation to be complete. And it was only after creation was complete that with woman that he then ended everything he had done. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to just remember that there's a hollow kind of, you know, rant that comes from the world that tries to tell us, you know, over and over, like, women matter, women matter, women matter. And we're like, yeah, but why? And they don't really have a reason. Because if if God didn't create us, if we don't have, you know, this honorable beginning, like, why do we really matter? But we as Christians have a real reason for why we matter and why we're essential and why we're here. And when we own that and walk into that, I think we actually call men higher too. Yes. 
And I think that's super cool. Yeah. This is so good. Thank you so much for sharing everything. Um, When people want to get in touch with you or learn more about what you do, how can they do that? And then also tell them about the book that you wrote. If they would love to join me on Instagram, that's probably where most of my teaching happens. I am Mm -hmm. at Felicia Masonheimer on Instagram. And then my website is FeliciaMasonheimer.com. So there's a whole lot of blog posts on there. I think there's 500 on different topics like marriage and singleness. Um, some things on gender. As far as the book, I do have a book coming out February 18th, 2020. And it is called Stop Calling Me Beautiful, Mm. Finding Soul Deep Strength in a Skin Deep World. And this book is about going deeper in scripture, in the Bible, and allowing that to transform how we actually walk out our lives. So not settling for a feel-good theology or the typical women's ministry fair, but actually learning how to study the Bible for yourself and then watching how it transforms your daily life. Mm, I love that. I want to, I want to read that book. I will read that book. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Yay. I'm so glad. Yay. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for listening. Uh, if you haven't done it already, head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. That would be amazing. And I will see you right back here next week for another episode of Confidently She.